Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Jim Eskimen Podcast. And uh, you may have noticed I have a new theme song. And that is a theme song that I wrote myself and play on the ukulele. And I've never written a song on the ukulele before. And uh, this one uh, came to me in my noodlings. My wife bought me this ukulele for Christmas. And it's one of the nicest gifts I've ever gotten. I, I was trying to uh, take a page again, uh, trying to take huge fistfuls of pages out of Gary Vee's book, Gary Vaynerchuk, who I admire very much and who I met a few weeks ago. And so uh, what he'll do is he'll take a, uh, he'll go and give a speech somewhere or do a Q&A in front of a, an audience in Stockholm or somewhere or Japan or Cincinnati or Sacramento. And, uh, and then he'll cut that up into little bits and put it out in different platforms and uh, uh, I think that's a great way to do it. And I, I do talks all the time, but I never think to ever record them. So I tried to uh, record a talk I gave just this last Saturday at Loyola Marymount University up there on the hill. My friend Lance Miller invited me to go talk to a bunch of high school kids who were about to take part in a big arts competition that was sponsored by the the Rotary Club. And uh, I'd never been up to Loyola Marymount. That's a terrific campus they have up there. Uh, it's not too far from the YouTube campus, It's but it's higher up, higher altitude. Anyway, there were all those kids there, and I remember very well being in high school and being in, like, uh, uh, play fairs and creation fairs and art fairs and things like that. And uh, I, don't, I, I know there probably were speakers, and I didn't remember any of them. But uh, I know it's an opportunity to get out a message, a good positive message, and certainly high school kids are probably got their heads completely screwed on backwards about art and art career and acting career and stuff like that. So I thought I would impart a little wisdom. And I would love to play for you now that uh, that speech I gave, except that, uh, that my camera pooped out. So I didn't get the whole speech. I didn't even get the good part of the speech. So rather than doing that, I thought I would just kind of share with you what I tried to impart to these kids and their parents, by the way, who were there and uh, sitting in the audience and uh, seemed to be more interested even than the kids were, which which makes sense. I mean, the kids were were uh, about to perform. They were about to compete to do their little scene or their monologue or their song and or play the marimbas or whatever. And, I, you know, I'm sure they weren't capable of really absorbing too much. I think you're you're too much on edge. It's like, you know, knowing that any minute now your wife is going to give birth and somebody says, hey, uh, can I tell you all about my trip to Russia? And you're like, yeah, yeah. You've got about four brain cells thinking about what they're saying and you know, the other trillion are thinking about your wife. But I'd written uh, some notes and I, I thought I thought I'd start off with this really clever thing. I thought I'd say, when I was your age is one of the most god-awful phrases ever. We all know that whatever follows those five words, when I was your age is is guaranteed to be irrelevant. It's about as useful as saying, when I had a leather jacket like yours, because when I was your age, presumes that the age of your body, you know, your appearance and your physical limitations are what make up your entire point of view. And believe me, your age, your body, your hair, your skin, your appearance are the least important aspects of you, you know, of anyone really, especially an artist. Now, you might say, well, of course, he's going to say that. He's an old skinny white dude. But the people who say, when I was your age, are basically trying to say, in whatever follows, uh, in a sneaky way, when I was you, which, of course, nobody ever was, except you now, the phrase, when I was your age, would only be worth listening to, really, if one followed it up with something like, when I was your age, I hit a briefcase full of $100 bills in a hole, and here's the map. Go dig it up. So I'm not going to go there because I didn't really bury a briefcase full of money anywhere. I, 
I won't pretend that I have any special insight into what you students are feeling and experiencing, your expectations, your fears, your concerns, uh, your obsessions or your passions, and I won't ever know that. I won't ever know about your fears and concerns and your obsessions and your passions unless you, as an artist, decide to let me in on it. And I look forward to that. In fact, it's, it's one of the things that makes life worth living. So please, please don't let us all down. So today, in the mercifully short time allotted to me, I want to share some of the things I've learned in 30 years of being a professional visual and performing artist uh, that, that might help you out a little bit. Who knows? I've done a lot of fun, cool things. Uh, I've designed cartoon characters for TV. I've performed at Radio City Music Hall. I've done literally hundreds of improvised TV commercials. I've been in big movies. I've acted with Academy Award-winning actors. And somehow I've managed to do all this without becoming the least bit famous. Luckily, time has taught me that fame is a false kind of goal. Doing cool stuff and making a lot of friends while you're doing it, it's a far better goal. So here's some things I wish someone had told me about in high school. Maybe they did, you know, and I was just too busy trying to keep calm and, and remember my lines or something, and I missed it. I don't know. But here's one thing that I think would really benefit you or, or anybody. Even me, just in saying it again, it's going to benefit me because it's going to remind me. And that is that your biggest enemy is not your your inability to tap dance or to hit the high note or to always play the scales properly or the myriad technical things that add up to a perfect rendition of whatever you're trying to accomplish. Your biggest enemy is criticism. Now, I know that sounds like very, uh, I don't know, very uh, airy-fairy, very like, oh, you know, no, people shouldn't criticize one another. Well, it is your enemy as an artist because criticism is one of those things that is so kind of woven into the whole fabric of the culture that now it's accepted totally. You watch it on TV, on American Idol and other shows where you want to see what the judges have to say of a critical nature about another artist. Uh, even, even the news, you know. Uh, we have a certain thirst for criticism, just like we have a thirst for other things that are unhealthy for us, which you could name. And if you don't realize that criticism is your enemy, then you might put up with it. You might put up with it too long. And it comes from different sources, obviously, different friends, different acquaintances, different uh, authorities. Uh, it comes from judges, teachers, people that observe your work casually, people who are your coaches, people who want to just give you some feedback. That criticism can be, you know, that's, that's on a scale too. It could be harsh criticism. It could be destructive criticism. It could be absolutely... Uh, you know, the, the neutron bomb kind of criticism that's meant to take you out and everybody around you, your whole team. Or it could be very light. It could be hidden criticism. It could be very, very mild. It could be just just a, just a little bit of help. Uh, what they call constructive criticism, which is a misnomer if you've ever heard it. Because it's always a little bit corrosive. It always a little bit bleeds something away from you as an artist. It bleeds away from you uh, your own respect for your own point of view. And as I said, it comes from different sources. It comes from outside sources, external sources. It can come from within. It can come... From, and those, that's really the worst, isn't it? The, uh, the source of criticism that somehow comes from you and your mind. And it probably came from someone else earlier, external to you, but now you've adopted it robotically as a kind of a mechanism to make sure that you never make that mistake again and that you're always perfect, or that you never uh, offend anybody, or something like this. 
those kind of sources of criticism are the absolute worst because they they are truly hidden. Nobody else even hears it. And you may not even notice it yourself. You just may falter uh, for some reason. It's almost like uh, hitting an invisible bump in your home as you're walking along at night uh, in your house, feeling along in the dark, and suddenly you trip over something. Maybe it's a sweater that you left there or the pair of sweatpants in the night. You don't even really know what it is, but it makes you stumble. That's how criticism is. And it's automatic, too. Sometimes it's just triggered by something. I have a, at our house, you know, if you walk around the corner in the backyard, one of the lights goes on outside, the external lights. It always goes on, and, and that's kind of the way criticism is sometimes, your own criticism of yourself. And that's the way criticism, our self-criticism is. It sort of just turns on like one of those lights, and there you are in the stark glare of it, and you don't know what switched it on, and you don't know if you should move or not, but you stop. It stops you from painting something in a certain way, stops you from saying something or singing something in a certain way or dancing or making a particular movement or carrying a particular movement a little further. It stops you. So that's your big enemy, actually. It's not being famous. It's not anything, really, except for you stopping your own self-determined creation of whatever it is that you want to create. And so I, I don't think people think about that very much. I think about it quite a bit and because I've seen the, uh, the effects of it, both myself and other people. And uh, I'm very open to all kinds of works of art and all kinds of means of expression. And I think they all have a place. All of them, just like every individual, has a place in this world. doesn't mean you're going to buy somebody's CD. It doesn't mean you're going to go and shell out $70 or $150 to see some play that, that you don't like by a performer or a writer that you don't care for. But that's fine. But just imagine if the world was only composed of things that were completely approved and completely, you know, uh, uh, beyond criticism. Uh, you can imagine those works of art would be tremendously bland and uninspiring and rather irrelevant. I mean, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but this is what the Nazis tried to accomplish. They banned all kinds of, uh, of art that was considered degenerate art, most of which any of us would be very happy to have in our homes today. The lively, the unexpected, the primitive even, the jarring uh, they are unique expressions from unique individuals. And so simply for that reason, they have value. If you ever go to a museum, like we just went to the Metropolitan Museum, and I always like to just kind of tool through there and not spend a whole lot of time, but to visit particular pieces that I like. If everybody voted, you know, and they did it somehow with analytics or metrics, and they just sort of went, well, you know, we're just, gonna, we're just going to uh, keep the paintings that everybody spends more than three seconds in front of. And all the rest of them, we're just going to, we're going to get rid of them. We're going to trash them. And then they could isolate that down to, say, 200 works of art out of the thousands that are there. And then maybe they'd go, well, of these 200 now, which are the ones that uh, critics have said are really the important pieces and that, you know, surveys when people leave the museum, if they mention these particular works of art, let's just keep those and get rid of the other uh, ones that don't, don't meet up to that standard. And maybe they'd winnow that down again to another maybe 30 works of art that, that everybody really agreed were fantastic. And then you could just continue on eliminating works of art until you got down to two or three paintings. And that would be your museum. And that's kind of the, the mechanism that happens. It's almost like in show business, particularly, they're interested in, and when I say they, I mean people that produce things, people that uh, 
uh, to pay for movies to be made or television shows to be done. Uh, they're often motivated by profit, not so much by, well, let's get an, a, a new voice heard or let's get some interesting expression happening. They would be very happy if they had, if every movie uh, at this point had the cast of Black Panther in it or The Avengers. And indeed, you see a kind of a homogenizing of uh, major motion pictures, these big feature films, these blockbusters, uh, all contain a lot of the same elements, a lot of the same stories. And now everybody in every character in every movie has to know Kung Fu rather well and, uh, you know, be able to fight for two and a half hours without really being hurt. <laughs> so that's a very long example of what I mean by uh, what the corrosive effect of criticism now, on an individual level, of course, you know, you're going to compete today. You're going to, you're going to put forth a speech or a scene or a piece of poetry or, or some piece of art that you've been working on and that you've made choices about. And if you find that afterwards somebody comes up to you and says, oh, gosh, you did good, but it wasn't as good as in the rehearsal. Isn't it? I'm sorry. Or, oh, you know, your performance was so great. I always enjoy it when you, when you play it kind of, kind of angry like that. You're thinking, hey, angry? I wasn't, I wasn't angry. It was a comedic part. Or if someone comes up to you and says, well, yeah, you were really good. Did you see Bennett's? Oh, my God. He did the same speech you did. It was incredible. All these things are, are not helpful, and they all tend to make you kind of shy away. So you have to start to get very, I wouldn't say a thick skin, because that's, that's dreadful. That's like saying, well, you have to become you know, kind of a tortoise. Uh, you have to be less sensitive, uh, which means less perceptive. And that's, that's completely in the opposite direction you should be going. You want to be more sensitive, more perceptive, and more able to communicate. What do you have to do? Not have a thick skin. You have to be able to endure uh, criticism. You have to be able to accept it on a very conversational level. Like when people come up to me and they say something that I consider, oh, you're just you're being critical, I don't really confront them with it generally, and I don't say... Hey, thanks for the criticism, asshole. I'll say something like, oh, okay, I got you. I'll just acknowledge it because then they'll shut up. If you don't acknowledge it, sometimes they'll go on and on and explain it to you. Or if you, God forbid, you argue with them about it and say, no, 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 I did a good job with it and here's why. That argument never ends. The harder one to deal with and to develop a habit about is your own criticism of yourself. But there are ways to do that too. First thing is to notice it, to identify it when it comes up, because you may be completely unfamiliar with the fact that you are criticizing your work and yourself and your behavior and your body and your posture and your breath and everything else constantly. And part of that is you can say, oh, well, that's justified because we're trying to fit into the world and we're not trying to offend people and we're trying to be liked and, uh, you know, we want to present ourselves in the best possible way. Well, that's fine. But the kind of... Uh, criticism that says, well, I'm a bad person because I did the scene this way and it wasn't really good, or my emotional tone should drop because of what I've just performed. That's the thing you got to avoid. But as I say, first you have to notice that that phenomenon exists. Maybe you're one of those people who does not have that inner critic and doesn't drag himself over the coals. Maybe you're one of those people that just is just fine on what you do, has a lot of confidence and goes, ah, okay, well, that wasn't my greatest performance, but you know what? The next one will be. And if you can do that automatically uh, without any adjustment, well, do that. But most of us have to kind of warm up to that. So first is noticing when the voice inside your head goes, well, that sucked. Then after you notice it, you just got to sort of realize, oh, that's that critic. I'm not going to pay any attention to that. 
You know, you just sort of acknowledge it for yourself. Go, okay, well, there's, that's that. You could almost expect it. You can go, well, where's the critic? Oh, okay, there it is. He said, uh, he said, I didn't do it as good as my dad or my mom or my sister or my brother or this guy on TV. Okay, good. That was, that was from the critic. What do I think about that? Nah, I don't care. And then move on. You have to become aware of something sometimes to not let it affect you. When you don't know what's happening and, you don't, and something is affecting you and you don't realize it, then it's almost like you're under somebody's hypnotic command. So first notice it and then just develop the habit of disagreeing with it or acknowledging it or just saying, who cares? That's tricky and it's going to take time. But with practice, after a while, you won't pay any attention to it. You'll know what it is. You'll be able to identify it and you can just ride over it. And I can only say that after years of practice, but it's, it's, it's an effort well worth making because that criticism is going to, especially that interior self-generated criticism is the thing that's going to stop you in your tracks every time. And we don't need that. We need more of your art. We need more of your expression, your ideas, your point of view. That's what we all live off of. We love to hear it. We love to hear the new song, the new observation. Uh, if it's new and unusual and in a strange form that we've never even heard of before, it may take us a while to get used to it. But to some people, immediately will have tremendous significance. And if you don't do it, we're all going to miss out. So give that some thought. And uh, today, as you go out and you perform and you create your art, don't criticize yourself. Don't criticize other people. When you see one of your friends or one of your rivals, maybe, creating a work of art, don't instantly start picking it apart in any kind of way. Certainly don't tell them about it either if you feel uh, negatively inclined towards what they've done. Say congratulations. It's a wonderful thing to create art, and we're all kind of in a big brotherhood in a way. You know, we're all just sort of, uh, it's a big club where we're all trying to see, gee, who could make some marvelous art? So uh, don't criticize yourself. Don't criticize other people. And if someone comes up to you with a big critical remark, just say, oh, well, thanks. And walk away. And don't talk to them anymore. Go talk to somebody nice. Well, there you go. I hope that's helpful for you. That's what I was telling the kids at Loyola Marymount, and that's what I say to you, and that's what I say to myself. Let's not be critical. Let's just keep putting out more art and more ways to express your individuality because your individuality, your point of view, is unique. It is a vein of gold running through the mountain. It is your way to pull yourself over almost any kind of difficulty, and you got to nurture it. And uh, don't let it get torn down by yourself or by somebody else. Hope that was helpful to you. Hey, watch our show Impress Me is on Amazon Prime, at least in the United States. I've been told it's not in Canada and the UK, which is sort of heartbreaking. Hey, I really appreciate you listening. Thanks so much. Please comment below if you like. Share this with any aspiring artists that you know. And uh, I'll be back with you again next week. Thanks a lot. <laughs>